the Memorare. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to you, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To you I come, before you I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. All across the Gulf South, it's 7 a.m. Time to wake up on Catholic Community Media. Good morning, you're listening to Wake Up. On this beautiful Wednesday morning, you are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm Gabby Smith, along with David Dawson and Johnny A. Bear. Hey guys, happy Wednesday. Hey, Gabby. Hey, Johnny. Hey. Hey, happy Wednesday. La- last day of January. How did we get oh. here? Wow. Oh, it is. Oh, I guess I better yeah. take those Christmas lights down then, I'm thinking. Uh. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> January felt like eight months. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> weird. It was a weird month. It was, it's, it was uh, freezing one day and raining. Oh my gosh! But it's beautiful out so. there now. It is beautiful out there now. Nice and forty-eight and clear over here in the North Shore. So right. it's going to be a beautiful day. Yeah, you know, today we're remembering uh, Saint John Bosco. Of course, he was uh, so much with the youth and with orphans of his day, and still around these days. His his uh, order. So we're going to call on him this morning to uh, intercede for us in prayer. So let's do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O St. John Bosco, humble servant of earth's glorious work, we implore you to bless, strengthen, and heal all of our families. Through your intercession, may our families become a beacon of faith, of hope, and charity in a culture that devalues families as the fabric of society. We ask that you help each soul within our family to remain pure and obtain a deeper connection with one another by remaining focused in you. St. John Bosco, please hear our earnest plea and grant us the grace to fulfill our sacred duties in the family that you have given to each of us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. John Bosco. Pray for pray us. For us. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that, Johnny. Looking forward to your gospel reflection coming up at 7 after. Today, we are also joined by Peter Finney. He is the editor and general manager of the Clarion Herald, which is the official Catholic newspaper of the Archdiocese of New Orleans. And today, Peter is going to be giving us some updates on what we'll be finding in this week's issue. In 35 minutes, Dr. Jerry Crete joins us. He's a marriage and family therapist and also a professional counselor. Today, he's talking about managing post-traumatic stress and anxiety with his new book, Litanies of the Heart. So Mm. looking forward to that conversation with Dr. Crete. We can always use, uh, I think, some mental health tips and ways that we can... uh, kind of focus on that this year. Mm-hmm. In 48 minutes, Dr. Jordan Haddad joins us. He's a professor of dogmatic theology over at Notre Dame Seminary and president of the St. Louis the Ninth Art Society. And we are talking about our Catholic 101 segment today. And we, we answer questions that
that are about basic about our faith that may not be known from by a lot of people, but also those hard questions that we want to know more about. Well, today is a, quite an interesting one, and I wonder if you've heard it, listeners and viewers. Hell, is it real? Oh, wow. Okay, so maybe we're like, okay, mm-hmm. uh, yes, mm-hmm. but some of us are no. Right. So Dr. Right. Haddad's going to answer that question. What does the Bible say? What does our church say? He's going to answer those questions. So, uh, yeah, I've actually heard it both ways, which is to. quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Not too long ago, I would have said or that, the, but I have. You know, yeah. No, I've, I've, I've heard the or same no, thing, or, too. Or, or, yeah, or no one ends up there. God would not send. Yeah. Of course. I've we'll heard that, that, too. Look, it's going to be a, it's gonna be a great show. I think so, too. And we're also giving away two tickets to the upcoming Men of the Immaculata Conference in Baton Rouge set for February 17th over at St. George Catholic Church. To win these tickets, go to our Facebook Live video, Wake Up Wednesday, and type, I want the tickets, first come, first serve. It's also five past the hour on Wake Up. Good Wednesday morning, I'm Father Chris Decker. Today's Gospel comes to us from Mark chapter 6. Jesus departed from there and came to his native place accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What kind of wisdom has been given him? What mighty deeds are wrought by his hands? Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his native place, and among his own kin, and in his own house. So he was not able to perform any mighty deed there, apart from curing a few sick people by laying his hands on them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Thank you, Father Chris Decker. Well, guys, I hope I never amaze the Lord in that way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm amazed at your Ooh. lack of faith. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I want to be amazing, but not that way. Anyway, um, you know, a couple of things to kind of get out of the way first, you know, is uh, so with respect to this reference to brothers and sisters, Adelphoi in Greek, you know, it's translated more like kinsmen or cousins because in Hebrew, you know, there was no name for a biological brothers and sisters. And in fact, we read later in both Mark and Matthew that at least James and Joseph that are named here are later found to be sons of a different Mary other than the Virgin Mary. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and then secondly, uh, you know, regarding Jesus not having the power to do mighty deeds there, of course, he certainly could have done them, but he does respect our freedom, right? He's not going to force himself on anyone. Mm-hmm. And then finally, this reference to the prophets not being without honor. Of course, Jesus is hearkening back to all the prophets in the Old Testament who are also rejected by their own kinsmen and then who later came to regret it. But let's focus back on this uh, bigger point today, which has to do with that short sentence, he was amazed at their lack of faith. And you know, this is not the first, but this is actually the second time uh, Jesus in Nazareth was rejected. Uh, now, these people by now then had seen pretty amazing things. Uh, he had seen a little, they'd seen a little girl raised from the dead. They'd seen him calming the sea, throwing out demons. Uh, none of this evidence, though, seemed to matter to many of these people. You've heard that old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Uh-huh. And so you, 
we put ourselves in that situation. Certainly, Jesus apparently didn't meet what their expectations were because this local boy? Yes. Uh, way, this is way too close to home. How could I have missed it? I'd have seen that, you know. Mm-hmm. So they had this, uh, comfort. Un- I guess they got comfortable with their idea, their notion of God, of a distant God, and it blinded them from recognizing God when he's standing right there before them. Again, lest we judge too harshly, not much has changed, it seems like. But there's something actually, guys, way more intimate going on here with respect to this amazement. You know, that word amazed actually has a different connotation when you realize Jesus could read human hearts. In fact, this word, uh, he's amazed, also translates as being in wonder or being marveled by to the point where you're, you're someone's pondering on it. And, uh, and so once you realize, we realize that the most important thing to Christ when it came to the human heart is how near he wanted to be to us, how near he wanted to be to them. He's reading their hearts. And it's those, so this reaction makes sense. He's, he may be looking at his kinsmen and he's saying, how did you get here? You know, how did you mm-hmm. let yourself get here so far from me, my child? How can you not see what's happening? I've come for you. Don't you know me? And, you know, he may be asking us the same thing at any time in our lives as well. So I was recalling this story, this passage in the gospel. It reminds me of this story that something similar happening to St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah, so, you know, St. Francis, once he had his order kind of going and they had a place to stay where for his followers, uh, St. Francis felt like some of his followers were kind of losing touch with the whole purpose of them being there and serving the poor. So one evening after supper, St. Francis, he, was, he slipped out from supper and he put on a disguise and he goes around back to the front door and he knocks on it and they open the door and he, he kind of mumbles asking for something and it, one of the brothers there was kind of starting to dismiss him a little bit. Mm. And Francis takes off the disguise and he just weeps and they weep and they realize, you know, if you don't recognize me, then you've lost touch with the whole reason why we exist. Mm-hmm. And something similar today with our saint of the day, uh, St. John Bosco, with respect to not recognizing the young. So our, our saint of the day, St. John Bosco, is known for bringing Christ to the young. But, you know, it all started when he heard the cries of a young boy who had been uh, fussed at and chased out of the sanctu- uh, out of the church by the sacristan because the boy didn't want to serve mass that day. Don't know why, but John Bosco heard him crying and he started this friendship with this young boy and it turned out to launch his entire ministry of serving orphans and the poor. The cool thing about that is this event happened on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception that is in the Feast of Remembering Mary, our mother. So how appropriate is in our gospel today when they say, isn't he, is he not the son of Mary? Mm-hmm. And so this familiar, they didn't get it. Uh, so, so the point being here that when we come to know Mary, his mother, we come to recognize the son in a new and powerful way. So many ways for the Lord that he to reveal himself, but certainly through his mother to see that. So familiarity should breed wonder, not contempt. So I don't know what you guys think about this. The challenge, you know, for us today is to recognize the, recognize the Lord today. Obviously in our families, those closest to us, but in our work, in the marketplace, in the faces of everyone the Lord puts in our path today, especially yeah. the young. And uh, let our yeah. faith actually positively 
amaze others. And if and if uh, we're having difficulties with that, ask for the Lord to put someone in our lives that has this faith. Now I agree. So I here agree. he is, guys. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. because sometimes mm-hmm. we have a tendency. I do. I do a lot. Uh, just putting people in a box. That's who they are. That's that's who they were. Nothing's changed. Nothing's different from that person. Therefore, I don't mm-hmm. expect anything from that person. I can under. Sad to say, I can understand that lack of faith. You know that that happened with the with the kinsmen of the townsmen because they already had him. Oh, well, that's Jesus. We know him. There he is. Yeah, he's in. Point. He's in that box. I put him in. So how how on earth could he be yeah. doing this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, we you get to that point. We say. Right. Yeah, we look around in our day to day. We we don't expect Jesus sometimes, and then we should be exactly the opposite. Absolutely, right? uh, actually, with everybody. <laughs> to be honest with you, I know it's something I exactly. have to work on a lot. We all do. Like mm-hmm. me too, Dave, mm-hmm. Debbie. Well, stay with us. Speaking of what's happening in ordinary lives, Peter Finney's going to join us next on what's happening in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. It's now quarter past the hour. On wake up. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for January 31st. Today we celebrate St. John Bosco. Before he entered the seminary, today's saint stopped at a second-hand store to get the shoes and clothes he would need. It was only natural that following his ordination in 1841, John Bosco focused much of his energy on other young boys and men of the working class who needed both vocational education and religious training. With the assistance of wealthy and powerful patrons in the industrial city of Turin, Italy, He opened workshops for the boys who were trained in such practical skills as shoemaking, tailoring, and bookbinding. By 1856, the institution had grown to 150 boys, and he added a printing press for publication of religious and catechetical pamphlets. For this, John Bosco is considered the patron of young apprentices and Catholic publishers. John's preaching skills helped spread news of his work and attracted other men interested in joining him. In 1854, he and his followers informally banded together under the patronage of St. Francis de Sales, also known as the Salesians, members of this society concentrated on education and mission work. When John Bosco died in 1888, thousands of Turin citizens lined the streets to mourn him. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Eighteen past the hour. You're tuning your heart to the truth. I'm David Dawson, along with Gabby Smith and Johnny A. Bear, and right now we are joined by Peter Finity. Finity, Peter Finney. <laughs> <laughs> to infinity, well, Peter Finney, editor, <laughs> editor and general manager of the Clarion Herald. Hello, Peter Finney. How are you this morning? <laughs> I, 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 I'm doing great. I think. Let me let me check here. Okay, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> Better check I'm your ID fine. because you know. Anyway. <laughs> oh my goodness, we're talking about the latest issue coming out, uh, February third, of the Clarion Herald. And Peter always joins us and gives us these little nuggets, and he really makes me want to read this thing cover to cover. So uh, good morning, Peter. <laughs> good morning, David. So look, I, I, I'm already looking at the, the first the first note that you have here for me is is amazing, and it is talking about, uh, it looks like a trove of letters that were found at Loyola and the Loyola archives. 
That's right. It, it's really an interesting story. Father Jesuit Father Louis Toomey uh, was very famous in the South uh, for his. Uh, he was very conscious of civil rights and also workers' rights uh, mm-hmm. in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And he became kind of a secret or a hidden ally of Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, who, of course, uh, in Montgomery, uh, you know, in the early 60s, was uh, certainly the, the, the foremost person uh, who really pushed civil rights forward. And they, uh, Dawn uh, Eaton Goldstein is a researcher, and she started looking into Father Toomey. She's doing a biography of his life because he's a very important figure in the local church, mm-hmm. and she found, uh, discovered uh, in the Loyola archives, several letters to and from, but between uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and Father Toomey. And uh, Fa- uh, Dr. King especially asked Father Toomey, could you send me information that you pushed, uh, that you, you published about workers' rights during the sugarcane strike uh, in the 1950s, because he thought it would be very uh, uh, important for him to use some of the same, uh, I guess, uh, framework to defend, you know, what what he was doing for black civil rights, and uh, the two. Uh, it, it's interesting. Dawn found out that uh, uh, Father Toomey did a radio interview uh, with WWL Radio at one time, when, and a caller called in and said, and branded, you know, Martin Luther King as a quote unquote communist. Wow. And Father Toomey said, "Oh no, no, mm. he's not. I can just tell you that he is uh, everything that he is doing." Is based on uh, is based on Christian principles and 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 and, the, and Catholic social teaching. Really, I mean, it, it extended to that. So, uh, they, they never really made this uh, public. Uh, I think Father Toomey felt like uh, it would be something uh, uh, it would distract from uh, you know Martin Luther King's uh, you know mission and goal. But it really is a fascinating story. And Dawn is also doing another story for America Magazine, a longer story, of, a kind of a biography of of Lewis to Father Lewis Toomey. So, yeah. interesting, interesting story. Uh, you, you think they will have a compilation and a publication of these letters? Were there there were there that many of, of them? You know, they may. I, I don't. Uh, they, they might. Uh, she she kind of excerpts some of the letters uh, in in the story for the Clarion Herald, yeah. and I think maybe in a larger story she may she may go a little bit more in depth for that. You know, okay. so uh, okay. yeah, it's really important. That is really that is interesting. That's 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 fascinating. I'm looking forward to that. And then we're going to talk about the uh, life of Harry Connick Sr., who just passed away. And and uh, Peter, he he was a, a friend of uh, Catholic Radio too, because he's been a guest a few times. We would talk about his uh, spiritual mysteries of the Rosary that uh, he had right. approved, and it and and. All I can say is he was a, he was a dear sweet man, and I thought he was the epitome of a Southern gentleman. He really was, uh, David. And you know, for thirty years he was district attorney in New Orleans, which is you know a very tough job yeah. dealing with the most difficult circumstances in the world. But he always clung to his Catholic faith. And you know, his son—he's uh, become famous. He's the he's the father of Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, that's right. And Harry was Harry Jr. was saying uh, one one time at at, uh, at when he did receive an honorary doctorate at Loyola, he said he remembers how his father taught his kids to serve others. They went a parking lot at a grocery store and Harry was in the back seat and uh, Harry Sr. saw a, an elderly woman coming out of the grocery with, with uh, up loaded with bags. He stopped the car. He says, you, you go and help that lady put those, put those you know, bags in the car. Yeah. And so it was always thinking about what can you do for other people. And, you know, he would, uh, he would serve people, uh, serve the homeless under the, under the, uh, under the, tra- under the, uh, the, the overpass and everything. Really? I mean, it's just a, and Harry Jr. said he was really his spiritual, uh, his, you know, his spiritual guide. Uh, and that's, that's how he loved his father. 
And, and such a such a polite man. I have never seen anything like it. You know, we would have a conversation every time we would meet somewhere else. You know, and and we would we would cross paths. I would get a note in the mail from him <laughs> saying it was wonderful he, to talk to you again. That's just a, that's it. Just a little card, yeah. you know, and it, with oh, with a holy yeah. card in it. And it's like, my goodness, who does that anymore? You know, of, of course. And and yeah, you know, the, the spiritual mysteries of the Rosary, which which he wrote himself at the age of ninety three. Yes, I just felt like the Holy Spirit. Uh, you should get a little bit more credit, <laughs> and so that's what he did. And, and for five for five weeks, they they packed St. Dominic Church and uh, with with his uh, spiritual mysteries of the Rosary. Yeah, what what an amazing man, and that that is really something. Yeah. All right, we're going to move on to Xavier University. They're putting together the first ever female rowing team. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, uh, historically, black Catholic universities and, and colleges, you don't, you don't see uh, this a lot. There's not a lot of rowing teams, and, uh, but students at, at uh, Xavier uh, came to their advisor and said, hey, listen, we, we, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty good in other sports. Let's do a <laughs> rowing club. Yeah. And so they, they have started practicing. Uh, they're practicing on Bayou St. John with, with a lot of help, and, and they, you know, they're, they're taking little baby steps, baby strokes. And, yeah. and so baby strokes, they're, they're, yes. Baby strokes, <laughs> and they are planning to... Uh, uh, you know, really, there's eight members of this uh, rowing team, and uh, they're, they're trying to you know break stereotypes. Of, you know that that you know black uh, black women uh, students are, are not rowers. I mean, it's just not familiar with you know yeah, in a lot sure. of cases. Sure. But they're, 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 it's going to be fantastic. They hope to in the in the spring uh, get a little bit more stuff under their belt and and maybe start competing. So uh, <laughs> it's it's really exciting, exciting little story. You think you'd think in South Louisiana we would have the best rowing teams everywhere, right? I mean, <laughs> my goodness, <laughs> with all the bayous and everything we got to practice in. I did. I remember going down uh, LA three hundred eight and seeing these these. I don't know what you call those long skinny boats. Anybody help me out? What do you call those skulls or something like that? And and uh, yeah, somebody's doing it down there. So somebody's taking yeah. advantage of that. So the, the, the Cajun Navy comes. You know, there's there's really good stuff. There We'd be on, unbeatable. You know? That's right. We'd be unbeatable. <laughs> no, we keep we keep stopping the fish. That's it. We'd be what? I'm sorry. <laughs> stopping the fish too often. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about St. Pius. They got four parishioners who are 100 plus years old. My goodness. Yeah, and you know, obviously it's becoming certainly more more common to have some, you know, have parishioners who are who are who reach the age of 100, but St. Pius has four and uh they beautiful little stories uh, about each person about how they they uh they came to their faith and how they how important their church is to them and they, they were honored recently uh, uh and unfortunately one of the women uh after the story was published or right before the story was published uh, passed away so oh, uh, but, but, okay. but but her family said oh no we'd like her to still be honored because uh, I mean it's incredible mm-hmm. it, when, when you read these stories about their faith it's it's very inspiring it's amazing how much older people are getting, you know. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, backing up to Harry Connick Sr., how old was he? Do you know? 97. 97 years old. And, and, and most of the folks, and I have met a few because my mother lives in assisted living and, and visiting her neighbors and such. Some are in their hundreds, and they're just uh, having wonderful conversations and such. So I, I guess That's we're going to yeah, see amazing. more and more. Isn't that amazing? So we're going to see more it, and more it, of this. It I truly think. is. That's, it truly is. That's beautiful because they have a lot of wisdom to share, and I think uh, That's right. I think we need That's to right. listen to that. All right, and then uh, Lent is coming. So you got you got an issue, or we're going to be you're going to be talking about fish fries coming up, huh? 
That's right. But because of the time, every other week we said, let's put the fish fry listings, the, at least the current ones that we have right now, in the, yeah. in the paper. So we have the, a list of uh, Lenten fish fries. We're going to be adding to it as more parishes send their information in. But it, it, it's in this uh, issue of the Clarion Herald coming up. So you know, get ready for Lenten Fridays. Yeah, and that's going to be, uh, that should be an issue all in itself, just with all the fish fries that are going on. Well, that's and that's the ho- is that the Holy Smoke section, Peter? I look forward to that every year. No, the Holy it, Smoke it, section. It's separate from that. It, but we will have Holy okay. Smoke again uh, in, in three issues of Lent. So we will have those recipes uh, and, and the people's stories about you know their, their Catholic faith. I always said they should make us eat beef on Friday. It, it's just harder to do in South Louisiana. So, <laughs> right. you know? I always suffer. <laughs> well, look, uh, before we go, let's talk about the pilgrimage to Venice, Florence, Assisi, Rome. Let's talk about that coming up. Oh, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. October 4th to the 15th, uh, the Clarion is sponsoring a pilgrimage uh, to to, uh, to Italy, and uh, it's going to be a fantastic, uh, really a once in a lifetime thing to go, uh, you know, to go to Rome and and see the Sistine Chapel, and also see Florence and Assisi and Venice. And uh, Father Pacey, Father Wayne Pacey uh, of Saint Dominic is our spiritual uh, director. So if Great. anybody is interested, go to, go. The easiest way is go to the Clarion Herald Facebook page. And there's information on how to uh, how to sign up and get more information about it. Wonderful. And uh, where can they go to pick up the issues, Peter? It's at, uh, it will be at every Mass this weekend in the Archdiocese of New Orleans, and then already online, uh, electronic edition, at clarionherald.org. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, by the way, speaking of that pilgrimage, are you going on it? I'm planning to. I certainly am. Okay, okay. Well, that's, that's more and more people are doing this nowadays, and I just think it's it's a it's a wonderful thing that people are taking spiritual journeys, really spiritual is. vacations, and, and pilgrimages. I think it that's is. great. Peter Finney, thanks for joining us. Talk to you really soon. Thank you, David. Appreciate it very much. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. God bless. Um, All right. Well, uh, when we come back, uh, Gabby's going to be talking to Dr. Jerry Crete about a book that he has. And we're just talking about managing anxiety and stress. Seems to be a lot of it out there. So uh, this is, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're talking Anxious to, to hear it. I'm sorry? Yeah. Anxious to hear it. Anxious to hear it as well. All right. <laughs> it is, it's bottom of, wow. It's bottom of the hour. You're tuning your heart to the truth on Wake Up. It is 35 past the hour. You are tuning your heart to the truth. We are giving away two tickets to the upcoming Men of the Immaculata Catholic Men's Conference in Baton Rouge at St. George Catholic Church on February 17th. To win these tickets, you just have to go to our Facebook Live video right now. It's called Wake Up Wednesday. And the first person to type in the comment section, I want the tickets wins them we will give them to you that's so it go that's ahead all they gotta wake do. up wednesday just type yep. in i want the tickets wow and these tickets i mean it's considered the whole day you got incredible yep. speakers throughout the day well i mean up until three o'clock in the afternoon it starts in the morning and then you got uh, a meal by john Fols. And these presentations Yum. are amazing. And you got a fellowship with about, I mean, close to a thousand men there. And to hear all that prayer yes. and singing is amazing. So so thinking about it for your, your husbands or your, or your sons, if, ladies, if you're listening, or, or guys, come on, let's, uh, you know, attend this thing. It's been thoroughly attended uh, throughout this. So this is, this, is a, this is quite the treat that they're giving away tickets. Yes, so, it is. All right. Most definitely. 
Yes. Our next guest is Dr. Jerry Crete. He's a marriage and family therapist and professional counselor. Today we're talking about his book called Litanies of the Heart, where he gives us some tips on managing post-traumatic stress and anxiety. Good morning, Dr. Crete. Thank you for being with us today. Hey, good morning. Great to be here. Take us... Take us through your book, Litanies of the Heart. This is something I think is needed for a lot of people right now who are struggling um, with anything that has to do with uh, post-traumatic stress, with military trauma, uh, torture, the loss of a loved one, spiritual abuse, verbal humiliation, neglect. The list goes on and on. Uh, Take us through it, Dr. Creed. Yeah, I wrote this book um, based on, you know, actually decades of my own clinical experience and different types of therapies that I have used to help people with traumatic stress, uh, also with anxiety, anxiety issues. You know, and I I thought about it in terms of people with actual PTSD or anxiety disorders, but the more I thought about it and researched and so on, I realized we all experience post-traumatic stress. (laughs) We all have anxiety. In fact, our society today is just replete with anxiety and so I really did also wanted to write it for everyone that might experience some of those symptoms. Uh, the book itself is kind of designed to walk you through kind of a process where there's some little short stories and then there's sort of the psychology of healing and then there's a Bible study and then there's experiential activities to help you actually experience and not just read about it and think about it, but actually experience um, the effects of calming and restoring and healing. You know, I think that our culture is more accepting of talking about um, PTSD, trauma, and anxiety, but I still think there needs to be a lot of work for that to continue. What are you seeing as a professional counselor when people come to you uh, that they need help with? Yeah, I mean, I specialize in working with uh, trauma, right, and anxiety. So I see I see a fair bit of, uh, a large number of people. And in fact, I, I just heard you were talking about a men's conference. I, I see probably 90% men. I kind wow. of specialize in working with men, yeah, who experience trauma. So. Um, I do a lot of work with um, sexual trauma, a lot of work with um, other kinds of physical abuse and this kind of thing that people experience. Um, One thing I would say um, also just about the book that's a bit unique is that I I basically outline a parts work. It's a whole approach. I mean, I do bring in other types of therapies, but it's primarily parts work. And the most popular therapy there is internal family systems. And uh, it's just amazingly effective. It is so powerful. When I discovered this method and started using it, um, I was seeing a lot of change. But then I was troubled by a few elements in the way it's presented in the secular world and the way that the founder of this model kind of presents it. I was troubled and I, because um, I felt like some of the attitudes or some of the approaches were, in my mind, a little new age or a little speculative. And so I did a deep dive in looking at how is this approach Catholic or not? And so the other aspect of this book is that I really explore how this method is, in fact, compatible with the Catholic faith and in the places where it's not, how it can be adapted so that it is uh, acceptable and true based on our understanding of the human person. Hmm. Did you say parts method? What what is that? that? I've never heard of that. Yeah. (laughs) Parts work is basically (laughs) this notion that in our interior world, like when we look inside, 
you know, and um, we have like an in, I say inmost self, um, and I, in internal family system, they just say the self, but I, I really go to St. Paul and, and how he describes the inmost self in Romans 7, and basically that we have that core spiritual center, but we also have parts of our personality, that our personality isn't a one uniform thing. Hmm. And then in fact, you know, I might say, you know, there's a part of me that, you know, wants to go work out, and then there's another part of me that wants to just lay out on the couch and do <laughs> nothing, right? Like, so we have these different competing voices, if you will, or aspects of the self, if you will. And even St. Paul talks about, I do what I do not want to do. I mean, we have inner conflicts. And so this whole method is a way to connect with the parts of the self and then bring those into communion with your inmost self, but ultimately with Christ. And so that there's harmony in the system. And the part with trauma is that we have parts that are exiled. We call them, even call them exiles. And that they're, you know, we might think of like an inner child. You might have heard of that. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of like that. It's where we have parts that are kind of stuck in time and at the time of our trauma. And, we, and the process here is how to retrieve those parts, how to bring them the healing, the love, and whatever it is that they needed that they didn't get when the trauma happened. Huh. And that's very mm. restorative. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Crete, how is this book designed? There is a true need for this. You're seeing it every day in your work. But how would you recommend for those who have purchased this book or are thinking about purchasing it, um, reading it, where they can really just encounter its benefits? Like, how do they go about it? You mean, uh, I mean, I think one can read it on one's own. I actually designed it, too, with the idea that the exercises and the discussion questions could be done in a group. So okay. I actually yeah. could see this as either way, like you can do it obviously on your own. Um, the prayers that are in there, so there's the exercises, they include three prayers that are actually called the litanies of the heart. And they're designed, and they've been out for a little while now, I wrote them a few years ago, and they, they're designed to bring about an, a, a secure attachment to Christ, no matter where you're coming from. So if you're coming from a place of woundedness or a place of fear or a place of just clo being closed off, those litanies are sort of written like a traditional Catholic lit litany, but they're, 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 uh, there's a psychological kind of approach to it of attachment theory. And so it's about mm -hmm. connecting and attaching to Christ securely. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. those are three of the exercises. And, of course, the litanies are always best when you pray with somebody else, you know, sure. or have a back and forth. Um, but, but also there's exercises in there that sort of teach you how do you connect with parts. Because for a lot of people, it's like, okay... I get the idea of this, but I don't actually know, <laughs> you know, how do I connect with my parts? How do I connect in any way with my innermost self? Like, what is, how do I do that? So the book shows you how to do that. Yeah, I like how you're tying in not only being aware of maybe something that we've experienced in our past or we're going through right now, but also tying in our Catholic faith with it. Because like you said, there's a lot of new age stuff out there that can be kind of iffy, yeah. but this is really tying in our Catholic faith. So thank you so much for introducing this to our listeners and viewers. Where can they go, Dr. Cree, to pick up their own copy of Litanies of the Heart, our listeners and viewers? Yeah, of course they can go to Amazon and order it there. I would prefer you go to Sophia Institute Press. That's the publisher. They have a great discount going on right now. So you can go to the Sophia Institute Press website. Um, and I believe it's going to be available or it is available in multiple Catholic bookstores as well. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Jerry Crete, author of Litanies of the Heart. Take a look. I linked it and on our Facebook Live video comment section for today. Thank you so much, Dr. Crete. My pleasure. Take care.
All right. I don't know about you guys, but my social media is flooded with stuff like oh, gosh, mental yes. health and how we can really connect with finding our true peace. And some of it is not Christ-centered. Not, not at all. That's uh, why I think this guy is such a gift. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. recommend mm-hmm. taking a look world. at Dr. Crete's book. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're 100% right. Well, stay with us. Johnny will be talking to Dr. Jordan Haddad. We're answering the question, is hell real? Are we making it up? What does the Bible say? What does our church say? Stay with us. That's during our Catholic 101 segment. It's 45 past the hour on Wake Up. And it's a good morning to you on this last day of January. We thank you for tuning your heart to the truth, to your family and friends about Catholic Radio. And we want to especially ask you to remember all those that are in RCIA. And this is a great platform for anyone who's interested in learning more about the Catholic faith. Right, Dave? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know know a lot of our RCIA classes that uh, they say this is a supplement. They highly recommend it to their... um to the folks that are on the journey. Yeah, there's so many because it comes, you know, questions that are commonly asked. And that uh, really led to the genesis of why we bring on Dr. Jordan Haddad each week. Good morning, Dr. Haddad. Good to have you with us. Good morning. Good to be with y'all. For those who aren't familiar with Dr. Haddad, he is a professor of dogmatic theology at Notre Dame Seminary. He's also the president of the St. Louis the Ninth Art Society. And today, Dr. Haddad, it's something that came up. I think Gabby came up with you. Someone was you were talking to someone about hell, and they said they were Catholic, but they didn't believe in hell. Wow. Yeah. Hot topic. Yeah. Hot topic. Yeah. Uh, so, Dr. Haddad, uh, let's talk about hell. Uh, is it real or was Jesus mistaken? Yeah, it's a. This is a really important question because it's it's an uncomfortable question that that isn't uh, you know it isn't uh, isn't a nice topic to bring up in polite company oftentimes because of the you know how how it can you know the feelings it can it can raise within us kind of like talking about religion and politics right. at Thanksgiving, but right, it's an important right, topic right. for us to think about. Um, so let's start with the most basic question: What is hell? Right, that's that's probably the best way to start. Um, paragraph 1033 of the Catechism explains that hell is the state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed. So when most of us think about hell, our minds probably immediately go to imagining some place that really bad people are sent to or consigned to, and, and really what makes hell hell is that one is in this really, really bad place and we're in that seedy company. And while it's true that hell will exist as a place with a particular location following the resurrection of the dead, because our bodies have to be somewhere, uh, hell is much more of a state. It's a state. It's a way of being than it is a location. Because as the catechism explains, it's, it's, it's that, that state whereby we exist in a definitive, resolute separation from God and from others. And that's important for us because the, really the chief punishment of hell is not some physical suffering, like a literal fire, but it's the spiritual suffering and the existential death of the soul. Because in hell, we've really cut ourselves off from God, who is the author of life. And so that's the first thing we want to keep in mind about hell, is that it entails a profound spiritual suffering of total estrangement from God. 
And we can even feel the effects of that even now when we live apart from God. Right. We set ourselves yeah, in opposition to true. Him and love of others. Mm-hmm. You know, just as exactly. we can experience and live heaven, too, here and now, when we're in friendship with Him, you know? Um, and then the second thing I want to bring up, too, is that um, hell is not primarily like an Old Testament belief that's then dropped in the New Testament with Christ's, you know, message of love and mercy. Because uh, the New Testament actually speaks more frequently about hell and more clearly than does the Old yeah. Testament. So, in the Old Testament, when it speaks about life after death, it speaks of a something called Sheol, Sheol, which for the Israelites meant like a place or a land of the dead where all the deceased go when they die. And when speaking about Sheol, it could be either a place of suffering where one does not remember and cannot praise God, or it's a place of repose and of waiting for the righteous men and women of the Old Testament. Um, But in the New Testament, we see terms like Hades and Gehenna and a lake of fire that are used when speaking about hell. And so that term Hades can sometimes, like Sheol, either refer to a place of suffering or repose, but Gehenna always means a place of tremendous and unending suffering. Hmm. And, and Christ speaks about hell, right, forcefully. You know, in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, he says that those who don't love him and their neighbor will, quote, go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous right. into eternal life. And in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says that those who reject him, quote, will be driven out into the darkness where there will hmm. be wailing and grinding of teeth. And then there's other passages in the New Testament that also speak about the sort of eternality, unending suffering of hell whenever we, you know, resolutely reject God and the faith and life that's offered to him. And so we want to always recognize that hell is very much a real possibility. It's a reality for us Mm. if we ever abandon God, because he is, you know, the source and the offer of life. Um. But it's not that God wants us to exist apart from Him, but rather it's because we've chosen it for ourselves, right? God doesn't force us to love Him, because love necessitates freedom. He doesn't create us for hell. He creates us for Himself and for life with Him. But hell sort of speaks to the profound dignity and reality of human freedom, that human freedom really does exist, and it really does have consequences. Mm. Yeah, God respects our choices. Let's touch on that for for a minute. Follow up on that. It's just because um, some people say, "Well, look, only a mean God would send anyone to hell." And but the Catechism does teach that no one's predestined to go to hell, and so you get back to this free choice. Uh, and Jesus says, though, that the way there is really wide, and many end up there. So, what does the Church teach us about um, what what do we need to do to avoid it? I guess our, our our primary aim should be heaven, and that's all we're thinking of. But what do we, you know, in terms of uh, our, I know, our state of death, uh, our state, our, the state of our soul at death is, is critical. Baptism is critical. So what do we do, Jordan? What does the church teach us about how to avoid this wide path? Yeah, so <laughs> the worst good reason um, <clears throat> um, to, to, uh, to seek heaven is because we want to avoid hell, Right. Um, is motivation to avoid eternal separation from God, you know, a a good motivating factor in our lives to turn us towards God and away from our sin? Yeah, it is. It's better than nothing, for sure. But really, 
what we should be aiming for is love, right? Love of God, love of neighbor in all things. Because if that's our trajectory, if that's our orientation in life, and if we are careful to always choose to cooperate with God's grace in those ways, to love him and to love our neighbor, health, you know, health's sort of going to be behind us, as it were, because we're moving in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And so always yeah. choosing God, always seeking repentance, you know, in the morning and in the evening throughout our day, asking for God's mercy, seeking to, you know, seek the mercy of others when we offend them and when we wrong them, and then really building up our spiritual life by being frequently in tune with and in and, and accessing the grace of the sacraments, which really oh, yeah. prepare us for life with heaven and give us a distaste mm-hmm. for for life for life that would be like hell, right? For separation from God. So just really just clinging to God in all things. Yeah, helping the go. people in our life mm-hmm. cling to him is the most sure way to you know, to, to be on the path towards heaven and, and, and away from, from hell. Wonderful. Okay. Well, that's fantastic news. That's the good news. Well, thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Doctor, for uh, telling us about a tough topic, but hey, it yeah. is critically important. So, Safe Travels, thank you again for being with us and teaching us uh, our faith at such an important level. Yeah, thank you all, and looking forward to next time. You bet. Thank you. All right. Wow. Um, thanks, guys. Uh, great yeah. show. Let's um, uh, go out in prayer this morning. Just remember St. John Bosco. We'll ask for his intercession again. And uh, as we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. St. John Bosco, the, you led young people to the feet of the Divine Master, and you helped mold them in the light of faith, heroically sacrificing yourself for their sake. We ask for your intercession in asking the Lord to fill us with a holy love for young people who are exposed to so many seductions. Grant us wisdom and fortitude to generously spend ourselves in supporting them against the snares of the devil and in guiding them in the path that leads to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you back here tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Time. Have a wonderful Wednesday. God bless. Wake Up is a production of Catholic Community Media.